0: Well, let us pray, and then we're going to get started. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this beautiful morning. We thank you for the rain that you've uh, blessed our uh, state with. We so desperately need it. We pray that you continue to give us what we need. Um, We also ask that you would continue to protect and provide for this church, that we might continue to carry out the ministry you've entrusted to us and to love and care for one another, to worship you, to reach out to the lost, to be lights, to be uh, the light of Christ to others in what we say and do and how we live and how we care for others, both believers and unbelievers. God, I pray that you'd really give us insight into this issue of uh, counseling one another as we talk about that and then talk about the issue of anger and that we would truly grow in our ability to effectively counsel one another in in, in informal settings and then I pray that there might be here some who want to pursue more training specifically in counseling and that you would bless those efforts and make them even more competent counselors within the body of Christ and uh, we ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right come on in. Uh, We are going to start if you'll take your sheets right on the front principles for counseling others. You'll see that the topic for today is anger but I told you I had to combine the Principles for Counseling Others into this topic, just because we didn't get to it last time. And I think the topic of anger is going to be especially relevant. And so I'll try to get to that uh, today. But this is important too, these Principles for Counseling Others. So just hold on to the sheets, you're going to need them for next week, I guarantee it. Principles for Counseling Others, remember that in... Romans 15, Paul addresses the Roman church and says, I am confident that you are full of goodness, which is, in that case, the knowledge of God. You are full of goodness. No, you're not inherently good. That's not what he's saying. But that through God's work of salvation and Him filling with, you Spirit, with the Spirit and giving you knowledge and wisdom of Him and His will, he is confident that he, you are now able to Nutheteo one another, counsel one another, instruct one another, admonish one another. And I think that's a remarkable statement. I think it's a, a, a profound and comprehensive statement in some ways because what he's saying is he's looking out across the, the church, the, the, this church in Rome, and he's saying to everyone, not just the pastors there, not just the leaders there, he's saying to everyone, you're able to counsel one another, instruct one another in what? in all the various ways of Christian living, And all of its various aspects. And that would include overcoming various problems that we might have. Problems that I've said, if with their, if they are non-medical problems, fall under the purview of the soul, care of the soul, which would then fall within the jurisdiction of Scripture, God's Word, that in Scripture, God gives us everything that we need in order to effectively counsel one another. Paul was confident of that when he wrote to the Roman Church, and closed out his letter. And uh, I'll just read that verse again. I was quoting it from memory a moment ago. I'll read it again. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So I, I believe, based on that passage, that the more and more that you learn Scripture and grow in your knowledge of God, both intellectually and experientially, then you gain the skills from Scripture, as we'll look at today, that you will be able to sit down with one another or go to one another when you have a problem and receive help that it helps you effectively overcome specific problems in your life before you need to eventually come to a pastor, which is step 10, coming to a pastor if necessary. But my goal is to see you guys and the church at large grow more and more capable of counseling one another. And not just on small, minor, uh, I'm having a little bit of um, trouble in my devotional life, but more broadly in covering all of the the Christian life and the various problems we might encounter. So, principles for counseling others. Now, what's what's the setup here? The setup is someone has come to you, a friend uh, here at church, a fellow member, a fellow brother and sister in the Lord. They come to you... uh, uh, and they, they ask you for help, or you maybe come alongside them and say, hey, I've noticed something, can we talk about it? And that's the situation. There's a situation where there's now going to be some engagement between you two, talking, conversing, and, uh, and the, the, the person is going to ask you to help them now deal with this problem from Scripture. What do you, what's the first thing you do? Well, this should be obvious, but we never want to fail to state the obvious because sometimes that can actually cause problems. We, we just assume what we think is obvious instead of being reminded of it. And so Proverbs chapter 2, 1 through 10, you have uh, these kinds of situations. Someone comes to you with a problem, you may feel at a loss of what to do. And that's okay, because that should cause us to plead to God for wisdom. So what do we do when we are trying to counsel one another? We ask first... We ask God for wisdom. And I should have probably said more than just ask for wisdom, because that is not as strongly as Proverbs 2 puts it. You need to ask for wisdom. You need to plead for wisdom. All right. Uh, we need to see ourselves, if we're going to be effective counselors, this is the, the, this is the Christian life. If you want to be an effective and powerful in your ministry to one another, you need to see yourselves as desperately in need of God's, Grace and wisdom. So then you, you plead with God for wisdom. This is how the Proverbs uh, put it. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, so that, that's the prerequisite. You already you personally, the counselor, need to have a love for God, treasuring up God's commandments, making your ear attentive to wisdom. So you want wisdom. You're, you're kind of lurching and leaning forward and listening for it. Uh, inclining your heart to understanding you want it. You want to understand. You want to have wisdom. You want to be able to give that word to uh, your fellow brother and sister that's going to help them. To to give a word in season, it's a joy to a man. That's the the another proverb says. It's a joy. You have you ever had that situation where you're sitting with someone and they come to you with an issue and you are able to deliver a word of wisdom and it truly helps them? And you see it and you see it in their life, and then they come back to you and they said, I really appreciate you helping me that your insight was, was, was exactly what I needed to hear. Have you ever had that experience? It's a joy to a man. It's very satisfying to see God's work in your life, giving you wisdom to then be able to share and help another brother and sister in the Lord. So you're, you're inclining your heart to understanding you want it, you want it for your own life, but you also want to be able to, to minister to others effectively. Yes, if you call out for insight, like, pleading with God. If you raise your voice for understanding, you're just not satisfied until God answers you with wisdom. So you're calling out, you're raising your voice, you're pleading with God, you're grabbing the hem of His his cloak, so to speak, and you're saying, God, give me wisdom. And I'm not going to let go until you give me the wisdom that I need. If you seek it like silver, so this is, it's highly valuable to you, and search for it as hidden treasures, if if you do all those prerequisites, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Okay? So if we're going to be effective counselors, that's the with one another, that's the, the course that we need to take. We need to plead with God for wisdom. We need to incline our hearts towards it. We need to grab the Lord by his feet and say, I will not let you go until you give me the wisdom that I need in order to counsel my brother and sister in the Lord. And in with their problems. Okay. Number two, and I, this is number two, it really, this is an important piece. One of the things that inhibit good counseling of each other, and I'm just, boy, I just tell you, I, these are things that I've learned from experience. These are just mistakes that are made, right? One of the big mistakes that we can make is really prejudging a situation before we have all the, the knowledge. We see the person comes and talks to us, and we, the, they say a few words, a few sentences, and boom, we've already, we've got a diagnosis, we've got a solution, and we've got some words at the ready to give to them, boom. And I've done that before. I have been hasty with my words. I've been hasty with my conclusions. I have not pondered long enough. I've not asked enough questions. I haven't got enough information. So then my diagnosis was wrong, and my remedy was wrong. And I didn't help the person. In fact, I may have made the problem worse, okay? So what we have to do is we have to learn to ask good, this is number two, good, thoughtful, relevant questions that draw out their thinking and their motives. That's what we are trying to get at, a person's thinking and their motives. And prayerfully, the person that you're talking with will be open and honest with their motives. Okay, open and honest with their thinking, and they'll have to be if there's going to be real progress. But the Proverbs chapter 20 verse 5 is is just a, a, an important reminder in this regard. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And we just saw in Proverbs 2 that the one who has pleaded with the Lord, called out for understanding, that's the person who's going to receive it. And now they are. Able to be the person in verse 5, the man of understanding will draw it out. So, someone, for example, who is struggling with outbursts of anger, it's not just a matter of changing their circumstances, right? Because we know it's from the heart that flows the issues of life. We now need to ask about what are your expectations? What are your desires? What are you wanting? What were you wanting that you did not get? What are and then even going deeper than that? Are there are there unconfessed sins in your life that are burdening the conscience? Are there unresolved uh, relationships where you have fractured relationships? Are you hiding sin that is now boiling over in frustration because you are uh, uh, trying to hide certain kinds of sins that you haven't brought to the surface? So. It's not just a matter of saying, "Well, you, you get angry a lot when you're around this person, try not to be around that person anymore." That just that'd be uh, that may be that may be a small part of the solution, but that's not nearly all of it. So what the person of understanding is doing is asking questions to draw out motives, draw out desires, draw out thinking. So then then you can help start to address that thinking, motives and heart with scripture, with truth from God's word. And it just takes time. Um, just It does. It takes time. And this is why I think Paul addresses the church in Rome and he approaches, he, he's addressing the whole church because this is what happens effectively over time in community as we live and walk with one another. This is why we encourage uh, membership and digging deep into the, the body of Christ and and joining in relationship with one another and seeing the Christian life as a long-haul effort, okay? Because these kinds of things take time. These are the kinds of things that you can't really do over just a, uh, a five-minute series of texts, you know what I mean? Like, we gotta, We got to be uh, in each other's lives, meeting face-to-face and so on. So ask good, thoughtful, relevant questions that draw out their thinking and motives. And I hope that as we go through each issue, anxiety, anger, ADHD, OCD, all the various kinds of uh, things that we'll need to address in the next uh, several weeks, that you will learn how to ask those questions. And I'll learn how to better ask those questions as well, because I'm still, as a pastor, I need to be growing more and more in my competence in in counseling others. So, um, learn how to do this. Number three, remain Humble. Why would I say that? Why would I say number three? Because I did kind of put these in order You could say in, in a certain kind of logical order Why would number three so high towards the top? Why would number three be remain humble? What does that have to do with counseling other people? Yeah, Daniel. critical. Okay Absolutely. So that's, that's, that is vital. The temptation, and this uh, hear-me-now-believe-me-later kind of thing, the temptation will be when someone comes to you with a sin problem, for you begin to begin to think that in some ways I am superior, more mature, and that is going to set you up for disaster because Paul says take... Uh, be careful, take heed lest you fall. If anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. You don't want to begin to feel any kind of superiority towards the other person. You don't want to begin to think that you are somehow beyond this temptation. And this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Actually, helping each other deal with each other's sin, it's a risk worth taking, but it, there is risk to it. Believe it or not, and the risk is that you can be tempted by the same sin, <clears throat> brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, what, who, who is the spiritual person? Well, the context in chapter five, it's the person who is walking in the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So you're you're walking in the spirit. It doesn't mean spiritual doesn't here mean some sort of sub- like, you got the spiritual Christians, you got the unspiritual Christians. The spiritual Christian is the counseling the unspiritual Christians. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about someone who's simply walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. Verse 25. And they should restore him in, or her in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so that, that implies humility, doesn't it? That you are a sinner saved by grace, and therefore you are going to Engage this other sinner who is saved by grace and a spirit of gentleness. But watch what he says next. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. <laughs> you may be counseling someone who has a particular sin issue. And if you don't remain humble and dependent upon the Lord, and... Um, Recognizing of your own weakness and your own proclivities to sin, then you may be ensnared in that same sin. Believe it or not. Okay, so we have to remain humble. We also have to remain humble because, as we saw in chapter two, we are in in Proverbs chapter two. We are in desperate need of God's wisdom. God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So if we're going to receive grace from God in counseling one another, then we need to be humble. Lord, I need your help to do this work. I need your help to be effective to this other person. I need your help to know exactly what Scripture says and how to apply it. I mean, you need a massive amount of wisdom in order to effectively counsel someone in a way that blesses them and helps them. So humility is utterly essential, isn't it? Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.6, I put that one there because that helps us to make sure that we don't feel a kind of spiritual superiority over the person. Uh, Paul asks rhetorically, um, actually it should be 1 Corinthians 4.7, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then, if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So this person is struggling with particular sin. You're not struggling with it presently, and you've been able over to overcome it. Well, just remember, that was sheerly by God's grace, okay, at the end of the day. Yes, you made some effort. Yes, you did some things. But the reason why you're able to overcome said sin and that this person is presently uh, battling with, or yet you've never really experienced the temptation in the area, it's not because you are somehow morally superior. It's because God has been gracious to you, and that's the only reason. So we must remain humble, or we are counseling will be, it will malfunction from the get-go, okay? We have to remain humble. Number four, this is, I think, exciting and something that you should look forward to and something that you need to do thoroughly. You need to plunder the scriptures together, together, okay? And continue to remind them of the sufficiency of Christ. Why do we need to plunder the scriptures together? Well, as I've been trying to argue the last several weeks, it's in Scripture that we will find the wisdom and the knowledge and the resources that we need in order to effectively counsel another person and help them overcome their uh, problems. And we want to do it together. Okay. Now, this is an exercise that I've done in the past with my bibliology classes. When, so in, when I teach a, a bibliology class at the seminary, We uh, go through several doctrinal sections: inerrancy of Scripture, inspiration of Scripture, uh, uh, the doctrine of revelation, the uh, efficacy of Scripture, the canon of Scripture. All these various categories. And one of the categories—it's like in the last, last, we do eleven weeks, so it's like week ten or week nine—is the sufficiency of Scripture. Okay, that's one of the arguments I've been making for the last several weeks. Scripture is sufficient for counseling for Christians counseling other Christians. So I like to help them see this just in a very graphic way by giving, just throwing it out there, think of some random issue that you even wonder if scripture is even involved in that issue in any way. And I write it down on the board and then we just, we just talk about how, what scripture actually does say about that issue. And uh, in a recent uh, premarital counseling uh, thing that an and I were doing, uh, and we're doing a lot of them these days, praise the Lord, but uh, we, the couple there uh, has to go through a book that we do. And one of the chapters is dealing with uh, uh, problem solving, like how do you deal with conflict and solve conflict within marriage. And they have you write down a problem that you've had in your engaged period, like an argument or whatever, and it says, just write down the problem. And then the next question is, what does the Bible say about this problem? And one of the couples was saying, here was it, we had a situation, a very mundane situation, and we had an argument over it, and, and I was at a loss. I did, there's nothing, Scripture said nothing about this issue, okay? And they were forced, but they were forced to answer that question, weren't they? And then they started to realize, whoa, Scripture says a lot about that issue, okay? And that's the problem, I think, that's why I get discouraged when I'll read certain evangelical takes on the sufficiency of Scripture, and they'll just immediately jump to saying, well, Scripture isn't sufficient for uh, this particular issue. And I'm just like, wait, 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 wait. You haven't, you haven't plundered the Scriptures yet to see if it is or not. You've just kind of assumed that it isn't. So let's take a, uh, an issue, just throw out any uh, problem or issue out there in the world, whatever, and see what Scripture does, in fact, say about this. I think this is an effective exercise. So anybody want to throw it out there? Happiness, okay. Nah, it's too, nah, nah, no, got it, got it. Do something else. (laughs) Too easy, do something else. Thank you, pardon? My parents are overbearing and won't let me leave the house. Parents are overbearing and won't let you leave the house. Anybody in that situation presently? <laughs> well, they let you leave this morning, so that's encouraging. You're here, so, uh, so praise the Lord for that. Um, should you immediately go and start looking online to see what uh, uh, psychologists say about this? Should you go find a, help, a self-help book because this is not addressed in Scripture? Well, let's just wait. Hold on. What does Scripture say about it? What does scripture say about this issue? Honor your parents. Honor your parents. What else? Take heed you to your mother's in Proverbs. Okay, Proverbs says a lot about um, uh, uh, wisdom from parents. What else? cleave. Um, okay, Genesis two twenty-four. What else? Hebrews ten, yep. Um, fathers did not provoke to anger, but they have to. So to What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's Matthew 10, yep. So, uh, Jesus, uh, when there is a home where you have believers and unbelievers, there's going to be a division. It's just inevitable. What else? There you go. That's 1 Timothy 1, 9. 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy? going to get an amen, second Timothy nine or something like that? How would you like, is that right? Maybe like a study on like what does it mean to be an adult? Like when does the, how, what is the difference between like a children child, and child? Sure, yeah. Uh, so uh, obedience. So I'm just going to put obedience to parents. Children and parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 1-7, thank you. I was close. The Corinthians passage about the, you know, the virgin and the, the parents, and the, if you let your daughter remain a virgin. Uh, yeah, the re- reason I won't, is because yeah. there's such question about how to, in, how to translate that, that, those verses. Um, is it a, a, a dad with her, his virgin daughter, or is it a man with his virgin betrothed? yep so then you got to figure out uh, what does it look like if you are an adult, so adulthood so here adulthood you have to figure out what it looks like um, and we we talk about this in premarital and we've talked about, I've talked about it with you guys to some of you guys um, if you are living in the home and you are receiving uh, housing benefit from parents and from their financial support, which they're letting you live in their house that they own, right? Uh, and uh, then there is going to have to be some of this, even though perhaps, if you, um, even though perhaps you are actually an, an adult, right? But nevertheless, if you are, the, 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 how I understand household and, and leaving and cleaving and so on, uh, biblically, that you're going to have to render some obedience because... Well, you're in their house, right? And they're providing for you financially, right? And so then you start getting into leaving and cleaving, and there's conflict here because God is so designed, especially for the men, for you to leave and to go make your own family and go uh, uh, provide for yourself and no longer be dependent upon uh, parents. And that would have solved this uh, not letting you leave the house and the obedience thing, right? And so... This is is probably a fraction, this is merely a fraction of what Scripture says about this issue. I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface yet, so you come to me with this issue and we're going to talk about just a ton of stuff. Okay, let's try another one. Try to get a little more obscure. Okay, my Christian friends. What? Okay, Christian friends are going to a party. Define party. Yeah. Okay, go for it. Okay, soberness, that's Ephesians 5, can't be drunk. Um, But also other texts that just talk about soberness and sober-mindedness. What else? I think Romans 14, got conscience issues going on. What else? Oh, good, yeah, Ecclesiastes, I mean, uh, I mean, I'll just say Ecclesiastes 9 because i preached on that before, but you've got a lot of passages that, in Ecclesiastes that commend the enjoyment of life. There's, there, there are a lot of legitimate enjoyments that God has built into this creation for our blessing and for ultimately His glory because we give thanks to Him. So, yeah, there's a, there's a legitimate place for partying, okay? Yeah, well, because partying, I mean, when you hear, the, when you hear party, uh, you, immediately hear, you immediately think, or at least the connotations are in our culture, uh, alcohol and drunkenness. And, and I'll say, so here's another, so what does Scripture say about alcohol, right? Yeah, I think you'd have to address that too, right? Um, so what does that Scripture say about alcohol? Um, don't be drunk, but is it, does it forbid the drinking of alcohol? No, it doesn't. But we're back here cuz Yeah. Yeah, Jason. Uh assembly uh of uh I forgot somewhere in Psalms uh it talks about like the assembly of uh evildoers and also another passage just talks about the you know the assembly of uh gathering of believers. So uh like uh, Well you could I think you could say you could kind of Psalm one so um, then the question is: So, okay, what kind of party? Uh, let's just, yeah, what kind of friends are we talking about? Because scripture does speak about the company that you keep and the the people that you're with. You want to talk about the motives or the what's the reason for going to the party? Maybe you maybe you might want to draw out: is, is there a fear of man here? Because if you don't go, you, they're going to look down on you. So you have to bring up issues of motives here. Um, Right? Anything else? I mean, there's a lot else, but what else? First Corinthians 10, uh, all things are not lawful, but not all things are helpful. Yep. Good. That's good. Um, for me, uh, it, that would have been, been good. For me, it would also have been, uh, take heed lest you fall, because I, I came from an, an alcoholic background and was borderline uh, headed that way when I was a sophomore in college when I got saved. And so after that, like, like to, for me, it was I couldn't just like waltz into parties anymore because of my proclivity now to want to be drunk. And so I had to, so First Corinthians 10, um, both what you just said, Addison, but also the, the verse that says, "Take heed, lest you fall." Ooh, witness, yep. So is this a, a, a good opportunity to witness? Um, is, uh, is it an issue of witness by going? Is it a would I unnecessarily harm a relationship by, by turning down this this opportunity or this invitation to go to this party? Depending on the party, I mean, there's just right. The flip side of that is, would you harm a relationship by going? So yeah. You to weaker brother to stumble? Yeah, weaker brother. Yep, good. Okay, so I just again, this is just this is this this is the this is the tip of the iceberg. All right, um, we want to effectively counsel one another. Guess what? It takes a little work. It takes a little work, and this is where counseling typically gets derailed. You give people some. Do I say here? I didn't say anything about homework. Um, it's kind of implied. But that's why I said plunder the Scriptures together so that they can see you, that you're, you're together. But this is where the counseling process gets derailed often, is this requirement of the work. Like, it, it'd be great if we could just kind of, they come in, we say some things off, off uh, you know, just on the fly, and they say a few words, and didn't have to do much study, didn't have to do much thinking, and boom, there's your problem. It's fixed. Be on your way. Be warm and filled. And we, it, that'd be nice, but that's not the w- way it works. There actually is work that is required. Um, to to n- understand the Scriptures for your particular issue, that's work. To repent is challenging work sometimes. It involves confession and humbling and so on. But you want to plunder the Scriptures together, kind of do what we did together. You can do that together with a friend, can't you? Couldn't you, couldn't you just, let's sit down and write down your problem at the top of this, Uh, paper and then start talking about everything that Scripture does, in fact, say about this issue, directly and indirectly. All right? I think that can be effective. It's been effective in my life. Even, Even when I... It's amazing to me how often when I have an issue in my life that I'm struggling with, how neglectful I am of the Scripture. When I should sit down, and I've done this in the past and seen how effective it is to sit down... Write down the problem and start just seeing all that Scripture does say about that issue. It is a powerful exercise. Why? Because God's Word is powerful and it's sufficient. So do that together. Learn to do that together. I think that would be a great thing for us to learn to do together. And you want to remind them of the sufficiency of Christ. That's from Colossians chapter 2, 1 through 23. Paul is really hammering away that because you're complete in Christ, you don't need any kind of um, external kind of religion that uh, it appears to be having the, the, the ability to, to enable you to overcome problems, but actually is, uh, has no power for uh, overcoming the indulgence of the flesh, as he puts it. So, and, and actually, and as I have more and more I've studied psychology, I'm, I'm persuaded that it is a religion. It, it's a religion. Um, it has its priests. It has its Bible. It has its counselors. It has its view of life. It has its view of the world. It has its view of people. Uh, It has its evangelists. It has its goals. I mean, so. And so I think think chapter Colossians 2 is relevant to that issue. Remind them of the sufficiency of Christ. uh, A sufficiency of Christ. Okay. Number five, really important. Don't rush things. Proverbs 29.20. This ties into number two, doesn't it? Don't rush things. It's just, it's going to take time. But it shouldn't take forever. That's, I think, a distinctive of biblical counseling is that you're not encouraged, encouraging someone to be in therapy for the next 15 years. We believe that People, though not perfectly, are able to overcome in significant ways problems in their life that impede them from engaging in, in relationship and in, in ministry and and uh, and thing and things of that nature. We believe that people can overcome these things through the Spirit and through the Scripture. And so, though it should take some time and you don't want to rush things, nevertheless it's not indefinite, right? It does there there is effectiveness in this process. So Proverbs 29, 20. Uh, do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. There's been more hope for a fool than for uh, me in some counseling situations where I'm just too hasty. Just, I, I, just here it is. Boom. Okay. Um, no, don't be hasty. Ask good, thoughtful, relevant questions, and let the process take the time that it needs. It's interesting how often the spiritual life is compared to what in the New Testament walk what else what takes what just takes time whether you like it or not Marathon. yeah marathons that's true Marathon. gardening thank you farming gardening that's right agricultural metaphors or metaphors are pretty big in the new testament and it's fitting because fruit takes time it just whether you like it or not it just does you have to plant the seed it has to grow up the, the sap has to get into Uh, the the limbs of the tree and then the fruit has to form over time with watering and cultivation and so on. It just takes time, okay? Don't rush things, but encourage them to seriously commit to pursuing growth in this area. Proverbs 13.4 should be a rebuke to all of us. The soul of the sluggard craves and craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. That's not just with regard to places where you're naturally diligent, like work like oh, I'm diligent at work and I have everything I need because I'm life is my wa- life is well funded because I work hard. Well, you may be spiritually impoverished because you're not laboring in that with that same intensity in your spiritual life. So you you are craving and craving more godliness, more desire to, over, more, more ability to overcome the, the addiction to sexual sin and pornography. You, you, you want to overcome this, this tongue that is gossiping. You want to overcome this tongue that is swearing and cursing uh, when you're angry or lashing out at people. You want to overcome your anger, but you're just not willing to put in the effort or seriously commit to making it happen, and therefore uh, you, you crave and get nothing. Okay, So this applies to every area of our life. And so we want to encourage one another. If you do, you really want to change? Yes. Then seriously commit to pursuing growth in this area, and then call for genuine uh, repentance. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna get to the end of this and and then leave it. Leave us plenty of time for uh, questions. Okay. Obviously, number six is vital. Pray for your friend and their specific issue. Don't just pray for your friend generically. Pray for your friend in this specific issue. Pray according to Paul's words in Philippians and Ephesians, where he's praying that their hearts would be filled with knowledge of of who Christ is and experiential knowledge being filled with all the fullness of God, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that they would be able to overcome this issue with a genuine reliance upon the Lord, that they would be able to see victory. Um... One of the things that we'll see as we walk through, we've already talked about it with anxiety, we'll talk about it with other issues, is, and maybe I could have made this an extra uh, point in here, or a sub-point, is that one thing that's very effective in biblical counseling is helping people see, and I mentioned a quote from Jay Adams a few weeks ago, is helping people see um, the relief they can find when they begin to focus on one step of the larger problem at a time. So you got this big, huge problem, right? Okay, here's the first thing we're going to do. Step one. Um, you're, going to, you're going to get a, um, a guard for your internet browsing. Okay, step one. Let's just, okay, you did that. Okay, good. Let's just get that taken care of. Alright, that's step one. Or you are going to, uh, you have a, a broken relationship with this other person. Okay, step one. You just need to meet with that person. Okay, step one, just go, go meet with that person. Or you have, you have five broken relationships because of a, a pattern of uh, anger over the last several years. Okay, you can't meet with all of them at once. Start one, one at a time. Who's the first person? Just one at a time. And so you start helping people see that just taking one step towards solving a big problem is a, is a massive relief. It starts to feed the... The, the relief, it also starts you to see the effectiveness of biblical counsel and biblical wisdom. And so you want to encourage, you want to pray for your friend for their specific issue, but also encourage them as they take small steps to solving this larger issue. And again, I think the specifics of this will come out as we study each issue. Um, encourage them to remain actively engaged in the church and not to isolate, isolate themselves. That you, maybe I could have put this towards the top because this is utterly crucial. One of the, one of the attractiveness, or one of the, the attractiveness, one of the attractive things about uh, psychological psychotherapy is that you meet with someone who's totally disassociated from you in everyday life. They have zero connection with you except for that 55 minutes once a week. They don't know you in relation to community. They don't know you uh, week to week. They don't see you week to week in the church. They're not fellowshipping with you. They don't see how you act and engage with other people. There's, there's you can just go and kind of isolate yourself while you think that you're getting counsel. And similar kind of thing here, you could think, I'm, you know, I'm just gonna kind of take a break from the church. I'll keep meeting with you kind of one-on-one, uh, but I, I wanna take a break from the corporate church. if someone is to say that to you, you say, that's not going to work. Like, you have to remain embedded in the local church. Otherwise, you are going to actually drift off into more and more trouble and problems. So encourage them to remain actively engaged in the church and not to isolate themselves. This was already brought up. I think Yvonne brought this up. Uh, We talked about, do not neglect the the gathering uh, together. That's Hebrews chapter 10. And the one who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all, all sound judgment. The more a person isolates themselves from the body of Christ, the more warped their thinking becomes, the more proud they become, and the more irretrievable they become. I say that based on biblical experience, our biblical uh, authority, and uh, my own experience. That is always the case. Once someone starts to isolate themselves, it is, it's like, how would you figure this out mathematically? It's like, for every day that they isolate themselves, the probability that they will come up come back decreases what is that what's is there a term for that i don't know makes yeah it's something but for it's like every for every hour that they're so uh they need to remain actively engaged in the church always speak and act in love one of the ways that truth is hindered right from effectively working in someone's life is it's not delivered with love so then the truth just sounds like what uh, uh, clanging symbols. That's all you. All, it's all you hear. They can't hear the truth because it just because it's not attended by love. And so we actually hinder Scripture's inherent effectiveness if we're not speaking and acting in love. Uh, involve others if appropriate. Jay Adams does talk about uh, what he calls team counseling, where it might be uh, one person has a problem and two people are helping them, and that there's actually because there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And uh, this is often the case. Sometimes we will do team counseling here at CBC with the, with the elders, and that's been effective. Um, it, it provides for uh, greater wisdom, provides for uh, protection, if, if you, perhaps you don't know this person as well. Um, and so th- involve others if appropriate, if they're open to it. And then involve the pastor if necessary, because the pastor should be, Uh, according to his his calling in Scripture, he should be growing in his competency in counseling. And so you may need to involve. But as I've said, my goal, according to Romans chapter 15, is to see you guys grow more and more in your ability to do this so that it doesn't need to, every problem need to come to the, the pastor. They actually can be effectively dealt with among yourselves. All right. I'm going to stop there, and then we'll close with uh, for ten minutes with questions. Well, we'll see if we can get to talking about any anger today. So go ahead. Any questions? Yeah, Daniel. Should you also involve the pastors because the shepherd should know his, his sheep? And what's going on? Uh, that's why I say, if necessary, I'd, I think a whole lot of problems should be dealt with and overcome, and a whole lot of ministry should be happening, and a whole lot of counseling and instructing should be happening with you guys that I never even need to hear about. The, the time when I need to start hearing about it in terms of shepherding is when things are starting to take a pretty serious turn. And um, and people will make us aware of things through prayer requests, and we can be in prayer for them. Uh, but we we do need to know the sheep. We do need to be actively engaged, engaged with the sheep. But there should be a lot of ministry and a lot of counsel and a lot of overcoming of problems that is happening that, we're not even privy to because hopefully we've trained you guys to be able to do that, so that if if necessary, that's that's an important phrase, right? If necessary, it could be that as things are progressing, you're like, mm, "This is pretty serious," and I think I should uh, involve the pastor, and that's going to happen, yeah, at times. And you can involve the pastor by afterwards saying, "You know, hey, uh, I was meeting with so and so, uh, and he agreed that it was okay to to tell you that I just want to share with you that." he's had this victory in this area and we're just rejoicing with the Lord together just want to let you know and that brings joy to the the pastor to know that so that's why that phrase if necessary is so so important but I I I know for a fact that you guys are not telling me all the things that you're talking about right I and I don't need to know right I don't need to um, so yeah how do you define? Depend- Yeah, Uh, again, this is something that takes wisdom, it's uh, just a very delicate thing. Uh, I think you want to be careful, this is one of the things I've said before, you always want to have uh, biblical truth to back up what you are saying, so it's not as though you're going to someone with a preference, like, I just would prefer that you don't wear any Raiders t-shirts to, because I'm a 49ers fan, like, please, like, that's not a sin issue, so... Um, but maybe you're starting to see things that appear to be uh, there's starting to be some isolation, or there's starting to be some more, uh, you just see more anger in their life, or um, more pursuit of, of uh, worldly things, or whatever it might be, that you want to make sure that you have sound biblical truth to back up what you're going to say. And then you need to go to them. And that's why part of this is asking questions and and these kinds of things because you want to make sure that you have the right information to be able to make any kind of conclusion about what's happening in their life. Uh, And so I I don't think I have any kind of rigorous rules about what that should look like. It does take wisdom. But overall, this is coming from Hebrews now, there should be just a general concern, a broad concern, uh, for our brothers and sisters spiritualized such that when we do notice, we, or I should say we are able to notice when things are amiss. Like, well, for the last three weeks, you just seem like you were so blue, so down. Is there is there anything going on? Anything we can talk about? Right? So I think it's developing this capacity to recognize when our brothers and sisters are not doing well and uh, be able to say, how are you doing? And I, I mean, I, I, I need to work on this. But so... Uh, I, I think it's a delicate process, and you need to make sure that you are uh, asking questions and making sure you have uh, you have the right judgment of what's of what's happening. But you have the biblical right to speak into your brothers or sisters' lives when you are concerned, and it's we should be con- concerned per uh, Hebrews chapter t- three. So, um, and you want to follow up with that? Okay, yeah, Austin. Yeah. yeah 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 so this this is similar to a question that got brought up a few weeks ago by a brother uh oh i'm not sure if he was a christian or not even he was visiting um And he basically asked, how do you account for all the success that psychology has had? And I said, my response is, you remember my response? How do you define success? That's the question. What do you mean by success? What do you mean by help? What do you mean by solutions? Um, If it means you uh, feel better and you now can get back to your regular routines, well, that's not a bad thing, but again, we are not talking about merely practical helps to uh, um, help people get back on track in these kinds of uh, areas of routine and so on. We're talking about a holistic uh, change of the heart and the mind and the attitude to be more Christ-centered. To for, We're wanting the person to be shaped to be more Christ-like. That's the goal, and that's the end. And uh, quite honestly, that's not what psychology is doing. Okay, And uh, we'll even look at some of the uh, things that are recommended for treatment. And so we are not merely aiming as biblical counselors for short-term, temporal, practical helps to get you to feel better about yourself and about life. We're wanting to shape the person to be more like Christ, the heart to be more inclined towards God and spiritual things, for you to be changed holistically from the inside out in a way that is pleasing to God and ultimately and eternally best for you. So if you say, gee, that's that's what success is, and that's what help really is, and you lay that alongside what they're receiving, then you're going to see some real discrepancies. And so I think that's what you want to do. You want to not just stay there, you want to kind of go, deeper and say, okay, what do you mean by help and success and so on. And one of the things that I get frustrated with with the integrationists who want to come over here and reach into psychology and take all this out, is that a number of the observations and even practical helps that are, 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 that are offered within modern psychology, they're not the jurisdiction of modern psychology. Like, a lot of what you of that that you find is actually found in the Proverbs. So, it's not as though there's something special over here. It's like we, we've, we've got it, right? Uh, a Christian who is seeing the world rightly and viewing life as it is and who knows the Proverbs can actually help people in very, very practical ways, right? So, yeah, yeah. Would you Elijah. say that maybe um, like modern psychology seeks success through helping you to cope? Whereas sure, that's one of the words. That's one of the big words. Yeah. So it's like, of course, it's going to be more meaningful because it's actual change. It's not just like, how do you deal with this? Right. Uh, coping is a big. I mean, that's one of the big words: coping, managing. Um, we'll talk about anger, man, anger management, and uh, a lot of it, circumstantial change, and these kinds of things. And so, yeah, it, it, exactly. It's, um, and that's why you see therapists or someone having a therapist for for many months or or many years, and and uh, just kind of dealing with the same issue and over and over and uh, I might have told you my experience. I went to a so-called Christian counselor back in the day when I was really struggling with depression, and it was so discouraging to me for him to say, "Yeah, I'm I'm just struggling with the same things too," and like he had nothing to offer me. I was like, "This is this is not this is not what," and so um, so I, I, I think that that is a vital understanding that Bib- one of the distinctions of biblical counseling is that we do believe that effective change can happen, not not perfectly, right? We still, no matter how much progress we make in this life, we are never over, going to overcome all sin or eradicate all sin. That's a fool's errand, and that will set you up for great discouragement. But you can make significant progress. I've seen people overcome anger. I've seen people overcome OCD. I should say sinful anger. Anger itself is not necessarily wrong. I've seen people come overcome uh, OCD, addictions, all kinds of stuff. Right? So... Lucia. Number five, what do you do in situations where you're just not seen through over a long period of time where the person is not uh, showing any serious commitment or just apathetic because in a sense there should be a an end to biblical counseling yeah. well in, in your part on the commitment um, yeah. and pursue other the person, but it's up to that kind of situation. It's I think it's gonna probably be a little different for you as a lay person than it is for an elder because because um, you eventually might need to come to the elder and say, "This is this is uh, we're just they're just not willing to to take any steps." Um, what you want to communicate to them, I think, uh, initially and then ongoing, is that you can't make progress without the work. Right? You can't overcome this without the work. And if there is continuing to be a resistance to that. And an unwillingness to, to, to repent and so on, then I think eventually you do need to, to come to the pastor. And now we've got an issue of kind of a, a spiritual stubbornness, a spiritual uh, apathy, and, and let's see if we can uh, help this person. But really, that's, that's the discouraging part about it is, is once a person, or I should say, if a person is unwilling, to put in the effort to change, then from our, for our part there's not much more we can do. And this is why Jay Adams and other biblical counselors who fall a biblical counseling, this biblical counseling methodology, will actually not allow the counseling to continue if the person is unwilling, over a, a series of, of, of sessions, unwilling to do the work, unwilling to do the homework. Because this is, not, this is no longer a good use of my time, right? And so you, you want to give them time, you want to help them, you, you're patient and you're patient, but at some point, if they're unwilling to put in the effort, because they must, right, if they are going to change, that's God's, that's what God is, uh, the way he's designed it, we do have a responsibility, then at some point we must say, I, I can't keep doing this. Um, it's not a good use of my time, and I actually think we probably should involve uh, the pastor, and it, d- depending on the, 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 the seriousness of the sin they're trying to overcome, that will kind of determine whether or not you need to talk to the pastor and how soon. But uh, that's been my policy, that if, if there is an unwillingness to do the, the work and put in the effort, then I can't continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wondering in that case Oh, well, that, yeah, in that case, if you're talking about someone who's outside the local church um, and you're trying to counsel them, then just like one of the big issues is that, that issue of them isolating themselves and not being in a local church. And I've even told uh, I had a very specific counseling situation, too, actually recently, in the last two years, where I told the person, three, three, now that I think about it, where I told the person, like, we can't go any further until you commit to a local church, like, this is a foundational issue, so I will not counsel you anymore, this happened three times, I will not counsel it, two times, three, uh, I will not counsel you anymore uh, until you uh, become actively engaged in a local church, and um, and that ended the, the counseling relationship, they, they didn't, they were, and they are still, to this day, uh, Haven't done that and still to this day having the same problems that they were having. So, all right, so next week, so we had to do that. So, next week, bring the same sheets. We're going to do talk about anger, all right? Uh, Anger, and then the week after that is ADHD. That's going to get exciting, okay? So, next week, come in here. We are going to talk about counseling ourselves and counseling others with regard to anger. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, help us to become effective counselors of one another. Give us wisdom. Give us humility. Help us to love one another with a love that is genuinely concerned for each other's spiritual life, but not overbearing. And help us to see true sin and not uh, what is mere preference. Just give us wisdom that we need to glorify you and to really love and serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen.